I started to see online people like Jennifer's fake. She doesn't really like me. And I'm like, I am. And I was like in this push and pull with myself. Like this isn't who I am. Yeah. And because it wasn't a character I was playing, it was like a combination of who I really was plus a character. It wasn't like I, I could go be in a movie, be a character and then be done. Right. It was, it was like constant. It's like I'm Jen, like right. me. And this is who I'm pretending to be. I was totally out of alignment building a brand that was out of alignment because all these people thought that was following me thought I was something that I wasn't. Yep. And it all went away because the show got canceled. The show after just five got canceled. Years. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, I am super excited to be in studio with my very good friend, Jen Gottlieb. Jen, what's up? What's up? So happy to finally be here. Welcome to the show. I was thinking the other day that we had done an episode before, because after we scheduled this, and I went to go look for our other episode, and I was like, we've never recorded an episode. I know. I I feel like we've done it in our minds. Yeah. I feel like I know we've had you as an expert for our people. And and I had Chris, back when I first met Chris, like in... 2017 or 2018 or something okay. like that. So maybe in my brain, yeah. I was just like, yeah. oh yeah, I've had, I've had Jen before. Well, I like, think that's oh, like haven't. a perfect example of what happens when you envision things and then they come it's to true. be. Cause yeah, now we're like, right. duh, we have to be sitting here. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is like, it's already happened. Exactly, exactly. We've had too, too many bu- back of the bus conversations. Oh my God, we've had a lot of back of the bus <laughs> conversations. Those yeah. have been my favorite. For this to not happen. Mm-hmm, totally. So before we jump into some of the stuff I wanna talk to you about, I have to, at the top of this mention your book be seen because this is the main reason we're having this conversation this comes out at the end of october Mm -hmm. and you have been doing nothing but writing this book breathing this book eating this book sleeping this book talking about this book yes so why don't you give a good little plug here for everybody listening or watching before we jump into the rest of the content why should they buy a copy of be seen oh i wrote the book for the person that has a service a story a product or even just a desire to get that service story or product to the masses. Whether that is like the masses meaning their community where they live and they just wanna be known amongst the people around them or they wanna build a big personal brand online and they're too scared to start. Perfectionism is holding them back. They don't know the first thing to do. They don't feel ready. They feel like they'll do it tomorrow and then tomorrow never comes. And so that book is half strategy, half Mindset, okay. because the mindset's the most important piece of the puzzle, Absolutely. for sure, because no one's gonna post anything if they're not feeling courageous yeah. enough to post it. And then mixed in with a lot of my stories of how I messed up along yeah. the way, what I did wrong, People what I did too. right, oh, a little bit here and there, in order to build a brand that now is finally, I feel, an authentic version. I know a lot of people throw around that word authentic, but I really yeah. do want to use it version of myself because I spent so long not being that. Sure. And now that I'm finally visible as that, my life has completely taken a turn and I've essentially created the life that I used to dream of. Yeah. I love titles like this that pop, but also speak to the exact problem that the person's experiencing who needs to be reading the book to begin with, yeah. because it, it makes you feel a certain way when you say like, you need to be seen because there's a lot of people that 
just want to be behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they have a business or they have a, a product, they have a service and they want to sell more of it and they want to grow their business and they want to hire more people and they want to maybe pay their employees better, but they can't do any of those things because nobody knows yeah. about who they are, what they do, what their product or service does, how they solve the problem. They don't know any of that stuff and they think that it's an option to not do that and still be successful. And at the end of the day, it's just like you cannot be successful unless more people see you and your brand and your stuff. Not so, only that, it's your responsibility Yeah. on top of it. I mean, listen, if you have like, you've probably helped so many people with your podcast, whether you entertained them or you gave them an idea or you made them feel not alone. Could you imagine if you didn't make yourself visible to those people, they'd probably go listen to someone else or maybe yeah. even like sign up for a different program or, or learn something that wasn't as good as what you had to say. Sure. So if you have a service or a story or a product, and it can help people, and you're not making yourself visible to those people, you're being selfish. Yeah, under the guise of being selfless. Yes. Right, because that's the that's like the story that you tell yourself is like, yeah. well, you know, I'm not Grant Cardone. Right. You know, like that he's he's too he's too much, and then blah blah blah, and you you tell all your, you tell yourself all these little stories that make you feel better about like remaining in this little box where nobody yeah. can see you or hear you, and then you struggle to make payroll next mm-hmm. week. Yeah. It's like, well where's the fun in that? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no fun in that. And then yeah. there's also no fun in that feeling in your gut. That's always telling you, Oh, but I could. Yeah. Oh, but what if, Oh, tomorrow I promise I'll post it. I know I, or even scrolling and saying I could do that. Yeah. And then not allowing yourself to do it because of fear of what other people will think of you. And this feeling that you just like represented so perfectly where it's like, uh, like, uh, Oh, I'm not Grant Cardone. All of that. That is all just fear coming in and telling you lies mm-hmm. to keep you exactly the same and to allow you to hide. Yeah. But, Here's the thing, when you start to tell that lie, yo, what's up fear, I see you, I hear you, and you're BSing me, and I know what's up, and I'm gonna take action with you there in the passenger seat of the car anyway, and you start showing up, you actually prove to yourself a lot of things that you probably needed to learn, which is that you are in fact worthy, that it does in fact work, that it's not as scary, that you're not gonna die if you post a video or somebody thinks a certain way of you. Yeah, so your brand has, I mean, I've watched it, had a front row seat to watching your brand really take off in the last couple of years. Like I said, I met Chris when you guys are married. Husband, yeah. Yeah, husband. I met him back in 2017 or something like that when you just had the PR agency, mm-hmm. you know? And then I saw you come into the picture and then I was like, oh, this Jen is a brand new part of this business. Like, mm-hmm. let me go see what this is about. And then I was kind of watching from afar, you know? I always liked Chris, great dude. And we always got along because he's, you know, your whole brand is called Super Connector. Mm-hmm. Mine at the time is called Build Your Network. It was very synergistic. Yeah. And then you and I met for the first time in person at the 100 Million Mastermind mm-hmm. at the very first event. And even since then, in 2019, what, four, four, wow, almost four years ago that That's we first crazy. met. crazy. Almost four years ago. And even from then till now, your brand is leaps and bounds gotten much, much better even since then. And what I find to be true most of the time is when somebody kind of explodes, people tend to only see that version of that person. They see this version of Jen and they see everything polished and put together and they see the results, but they didn't see everything that went into the result, which you alluded to earlier. Let's kind of peel back some layers here and go back in time, way back in time. Okay, humor me, Jen. We're going to go back to, let's say, a nine-year-old Jen oh, Gottlieb. Nine. Okay, um, nine-year-old. Set the scene. Okay. Tell us what it was like being Jen at nine. Jen at nine was obsessed with being seen. 
She was messy. She let her belly hang out. She was a tomboy. She had frizzy hair. She did not care what other people thought. She was a performer. I like. I was a child actor, so I was a performer even when I was a kid. And I love that you said nine because I was just having this conversation with Ryan earlier. I had a moment when I was nine that really changed the trajectory of my whole life. Mm. And I would perform in shows because I was like singing and dancing from the moment I could walk. I was like, anyone that will watch me do a show, watch me do a show. Michael Jackson, Little Mermaid, like all of it. And I was started to do children's theater and I was in this show and we were in a really big theater. It was like an amphitheater in Boca Raton. And I was wearing these like bedazzled overalls and like this bright red leotard underneath it. And I was singing Annie, like the songs from Annie. Yep. And it was always my dream to be Annie. I never got to play Annie, but I got to sing some of the songs from Annie. So that was good enough. Yeah. So I'm on the stage and I'm singing. And I remember stopping for a moment at like nine, eight or nine. And I look out at the audience and I remember thinking this so clearly. It's one of the like clearest memories I have as a child. I thought to myself, there is nothing better than this. I want to do this for the rest of my life. And from that moment, I was like, I'm going to be an actress. Wow. I'm going to be a performer. This is what I'm going to do. What did your parents do? My dad was a trader on the Chicago Stock Exchange when I was really little. Okay. And then he got totally burnt out. We moved to South Florida and he got into the jumper, like equestrian world. And we had a barn. No and we had horses. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yep. And my mom was what a preschool a weird teacher. weird transition. Very weird. He yeah. always loved horses and he rode as a kid. Okay. So when we moved to Florida, he was like, I'm going to do what I always loved to do when I was a kid. Good for him. Yeah. And then my mom was a, like a preschool teacher and then she was a mom. And I had a really awesome childhood until I was about 13 Okay. when it all kind of came crumbling down. My parents got divorced mm. and my perfect experience of everyone doting on me and Jenny, you're the star and everything's great and everything revolves around you. I really was like, Thanks, mom and dad. Like you spoiled me. I don't know if it was yeah. good or bad. Probably Brothers and sisters. Wasn't great. Younger brother. Okay. Younger brother. And my parents got divorced. And then suddenly I was no longer, you know, as it happens when parents and families, you know, get separated. Yeah. The star of the show. And yeah, it's a rough out. time to go through any sort of crisis when you're already going through a crisis of sorts when 13. you're 12, 13, 14, Forget like in that it. transition phase. It's like you throw in any other pieces and it's like, I don't know how to handle this one thing, let alone like these adult problems that I don't even understand. It was insane. And my dad was also diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at that time. Ooh. So it was like family divorce, MS, and then wow. I developed a serious eating disorder. You know, I'm not going to say that it was because of that, but a whole bunch of stuff sure. coming together. And it was a, a really rough time. I was really rebellious in my teenage years. Mm. I don't even recognize the girl that I was, like completely, really lost, really, really, really lost. But I still knew I'm gonna be an actress. Really, even <laughs> like, through that? Oh yeah, I was mm. still, I mean, I was like, I dabbled in all the different things like figure skating and horseback riding, but no matter what, above all, I was like, I'm gonna be an actor. Like I, and I was still performing and singing and dancing. It's what I always love to do, no matter what. When I got on that stage, the world didn't exist. Yeah. I escaped there. It was my favorite place. But here's the thing, Travis. I always envisioned in my mind that my purpose was to be an actress in the traditional sense, to say other people's lines, Mm -hmm. to go into auditions and wait to be chosen. Sure. I pick you, you're good enough. Now you can be hired to go say these lines and sing these songs. And it's so funny that I'm a motivational speaker now and that I speak on stages because my dad, this is actually in the book. This is one of my favorite stories in the book. And I haven't talked about this on any podcast yet. Yes. This story. So you're going to get, and I love how you, you're really good at this. You led me into this, which no one has. So when I was in high school, I would perform. We didn't have a theater in high school. We performed in the hallway because like my school was really small. And my, mm-hmm. my dad was always my biggest fan. 
ever in the world. And he would come to my hallway performances and sit on the floor of the tile with like his his flowers in his arms. And like, I'd, I'd be done. He'd like be like, Jenny, you're going from hallway to Broadway. I know it. I know you are. You're, you're, I'm your biggest fan. You're going to be a star. The greatest dad. And when I started speaking and like everything changed, and I guess we'll get to that part of the story later. And now I speak on all these stages in front of like these really like a lot of billionaires, very successful people, big rooms, thousands of people. And he sees me on social media and he's like, that's so cool. Like you're performing, but he never really got to see me speak in person because he has multiple sclerosis and he can't travel. Yeah. But I got asked to speak at Kent Clothier's event in Fort Lauderdale. And my dad lives in Fort Lauderdale. Nice. So I got to invite my dad to come to one of my speaking engagements for the very first time. And he couldn't really, it was at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino and my dad has a hard time walking. He walks, but like with a cane. And yep. so he's like, I don't, he's like, I'm gonna walk through that entire casino to come see you speak. I'm gonna be so cool. Everyone's gonna love me. He sat in the front row. And when I was done, he's like hysterically crying. We get into the car and it was such a cool moment for my dad to look at me and say, oh my God, Jenny, it all makes sense. All those years, of you auditioning and acting and wedding singer and VH1 and all of it. Like it was all for this. Yeah. It was all for this. And I'm like, Oh my God, like you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And to have that moment with my dad to realize sometimes you think your purpose is one thing, yeah. but in order to figure out what it really is and what you're really supposed to be seen as or seen yourself, see yourself doing is something completely different that you didn't even know existed. And the only way to figure that out is to like try and fail and face plant and then win and pick yourself back up and then try something new. And like my dad was there the whole journey watching. And it was just a really, really cool moment. And the, the end of the book is that moment with my dad. Yeah, that's awesome. Dad, I mean, I can't explain it. It's just like, one of because I'm I'm a dad and I yeah. have a little girl and the, yeah, the it hits, hits me and my dad feels hearing yeah. stories like that because it's, you know, it's just, it's everything. It's so, it's everything. And you exude a ton of confidence. And I know confidence is something that you talk about all the time. It's in all of your materials and all of your trainings. But I have a feeling during that kind of rebellious teenage years period, you probably were not the spitting image of confidence. So I'm curious to hear from the parenting perspective, what were some things that maybe your dad or your mom or both or whoever helped you with through that time mm -hmm. that maybe allowed you to be more confident than other people when you came out on the other side? I think it was really hard for them during that time, to be honest. I think they were really like, listen, if I ever have kids, like God, you're probably gonna give me something. <laughs> like, I know, I know what I'm in for, I'm prepared. It was really difficult for my my parents, but they did the very best that they could. And when I look back, it's like, I they they did the best that they can. And I think that it, that's such a good reminder for everybody. Everyone's doing the best that they can yeah. for the most part. Especially when it comes to parenting because <sighs> nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> no, I bow down to moms. I'm not a mom. I'm a stepmom. But even, like every mom, every dad, like I bow down. It is not an easy job. But growing up, my parents always instilled in me, like you can do anything that you want. They mm. always did. They always allowed me to try things and mess up and be imperfect and they encouraged me, oh, you wanna try this? Great, you wanna try that? Great. And all those different things that I tried ended yeah. up making me the person that I am today. Yeah. And they allowed me to explore and they always were there to pick me back up. My mom, there's a story in the book that's actually a really, really cool moment, full circle moment that I don't think you know about. 
there was a time when I was at like probably the lowest point in my life when my TV show got canceled and the guy that I was with that I thought I was going to marry ended up leaving me for one of our friends. Mm. And I found myself going from this like multi-million dollar apartment that we lived in together with this perfect on paper life with my TV show and all this stuff to within a week's time, like living in a little bedroom with a window that faced a brick wall, with, like mm. six other actors. And that it was like that week or that month when I was just in a severe depression, not knowing what I was gonna do. And my mom lived in Long Island and I lived in Manhattan and she came into the city and she's like, I gotta do something about this girl. And we go to dinner at this Italian restaurant and I'm sitting there crying hysterically. I remember like it was yesterday. And my mom is very into personal development and she's a Reiki master and she is, yep, she's into that. And when back then I was not, I was like, mom, you're woo woo BS, like get it away from me. I don't even wanna hear it. I have real problems, mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for real. Like, this is not gonna help me. Please don't rake me, yeah. okay? I'm good. But we're sitting there and I'm crying and I'm like, I don't know who I am anymore. I, I was on this show for five years where I played this oh, version wow. of myself that couldn't have been further from who I really was. I was in this toxic relationship. I'm like, who am I? What am I even gonna do? This is like your early mid twenties? This was time? like, yeah, mid twenties, okay. like 25. She pulls out a book out of her purse and slides it across the table. And the book is called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. And I look at the title and I'm like, you can heal your life. Mom, please, no. Like, I cannot heal my life. Okay, my life is unhealable. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom knew that I wasn't gonna read the book. She's very smart. And she photocopied one of the affirmations in the book. It's a book of affirmations okay. by a woman named Louise Hay. And she became very famous from writing these affirmations that could, if you say them over and over again, they can heal whatever situation you're dealing with. Believe it or not, whatever you choose to believe. Okay. So my mom did, and she photocopied an affirmation. And on the back of that, she wrote, Dear Jenny, I hope you find yourself again. And because she knew I wouldn't read it, but she knew that I would read that one. And so I got home and I took that one affirmation by Louise Hay and I put it on my refrigerator and I said, okay, I'm just gonna read this stupid thing every day. That's all I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read this every day. We'll see what happens. And I don't know what it did because some days I would read it and I really wouldn't believe it. But over time, it helped me to believe a little bit more than I did in myself. And it slowly but surely helped me to expand and open up my eyes to more personal development content. Mm. And start to believe that I could do things on my own and that I could start over and I could find myself. And it was like the gateway, that affirmation. Skip to today, my publisher is Hay House, Louise Hay's publishing company. Oh, no way. Louise Hay changed my life. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I wouldn't have a book. And all of these publishers rejected my proposal, ton of them. And I was getting really frustrated. There's a whole section in the book about rejection. I'm a professional, get it. Like I get rejected all the time and it's a part, it's a part of success, okay? <laughs> but, and I was really going through it with all these publishers, but I truly believe that it was just redirection because Hay House was supposed to publish my book. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, seem, seems like it. I get sure. on this call with them and I'm like, I told them that story and I didn't even think of that story until I got on the call with them and everyone's crying mm. and we're like, you need to publish my book. Yeah. So that was really cool, just full circle moment of an ex experience of how my mother really instilled confidence in me without even maybe really realizing it too. Do you remember the affirmation? No, I, I, in the infinity of life where I am, all is whole and complete. And then it goes on and on and on. I remember the first yeah, line, but yeah. I should probably memorize it for questions like that moving <laughs> forward in this book Just to tour. put at the end of the book, just yes. like here's the affirmation. Yeah, yeah, I should. Full circle. Yeah. You know? 
Okay, let's go kind of back into the story here. Rebellious teenage years, and then you find yourself, you have a TV show. So piece what happened between like, I'm a rebellious teenager, yeah. and now I'm on TV. Yeah, so I dropped out of college. I went to the University of Hartford as a musical theater major. Okay. I did terribly in high school, as you can imagine. <laughs> I just kind of showed up and did the shows. I was like yeah. in all the shows, and yeah, I was yeah. a cheerleader, but I like really hid under the desk of my theater teacher. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Stansfield, I love you. <laughs> and I barely graduated by the skin of my teeth. And the only reason that I got into college was because I auditioned. And I got into the oh, University gotcha. of Hartford, the Hart okay. School of Music. By the skin of my teeth, it was the only college I applied to. And what did I you audition go, with? What did I audition with? Yeah. I, like, do you do you like a reading or something? Or You have to do a song, a monologue, and you have to dance. Oh, wow. Because it's musical theater, so you have to be a triple threat. Yeah. So I sang, I read, I danced. And I got in, and I got there, and I hated it. And I hated everything about college. Really? Hated it. Why? Stopped going to class. Well... There were a lot of reasons. Number one, I don't, I'm not a student. I don't love school. I wanted to perform. I was like, I just want to perform all the time. I don't want to do math. Like, yeah, yeah. please stop with the math. I, like, you still have like general ed classes. Yeah, even it was a, school. You know. And then I was very, huh. so there was, when you go to a real, a regular college, like University of Hartford, you've got the musical theater kids. Mm -hmm. And then you've got like the fraternities and the sororities and like all the other kids. And I didn't really fit in with the musical theater kids that much. Okay. And so it felt really uncomfortable for me to be in class with them they were actually kind of mean to me. Gotcha. Um, so there was a lot of mean girl stuff going on there. And I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> so I left. And when I got home, I decided I was going to move to New York City to pursue acting. I was like, screw this. We're going to go to New York. And I went to a two-year conservatory program on the Upper West Side, where I live now, actually, okay. called the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And I just sang and danced all day long. And Do it you was still find time to do any of that stuff? Singing, mm, dancing? Not real. No. Do you no. enjoy it? You know, I like speaking on stage so much more. I was going to say. I, you, you, That's my yeah. new way of performing. Yeah. I like it so much more because I get to say my own words. Yeah, sure. And when you don't practice singing or dancing for a long time, yeah. you lose it. And I don't like sucking at things. <laughs> I have a hard time with it. So if I go into a dance class, I like to be the best one. And I'm really bad now. So yeah. it just makes me feel bad about myself. Yeah. Well, it's, what's funny is like the more you get known for being good at something, the less easy it is to be okay with sucking at something new. You know what I mean? Because totally. it's like, cause people perceive you as being like a very competent person and you're yeah. good at this thing, you know? And then you like switch to something else and you have to like start at the bottom again. And it's hard. It's hard to like switch. Like, um, I was talking, do you know Brennan Schaub? Mm -mm. I was talking to Brennan Schaub. He's a podcaster and stuff, but he was a UFC fighter oh, cool. who went to do stand up comedy. And like, it was kind of that, he, he gets a ton of scrutiny from people because. You know his his standup wasn't very good for one, but, but he had such a big spotlight on him because he got super well known through the Joe Rogan sphere right. of world. You know what I mean? So there's so many eyes on him when he started standup. It's just like, well, most standup comics don't get eyes on them until they're 12 years into bombing right. on stage for you know over and over and over and over and over again. They already got the sucking part out of the way, and by the time you hear about them, you know what I mean? Totally. Like, yeah, total empathy for where you're coming from on that. My one. therapist asked me all the time. Else. She goes when I was like nervous about the book. She's like. This is your first book. She goes, what's your relationship with being a beginner? Yeah. And I'm like, 
oh, I don't think it's very good. <laughs> I have to work on that. Yeah. But I talk about that and I teach that. And when I speak on stage, I show a video of my first Facebook Live ever and the evolution. Right. And like, we have to remember not to compare our, our journey to somebody else's beautifully like packaged sure. chapter 20. Right. And so, so important to remember. But back to the story. Yes. So I go to, I go to New York City. I study musical theater. And I, during that time, I went to see a lot of Broadway shows. Okay. And one of the shows that I went to see was The Wedding Singer. You know the Adam Sandler yep. movie, The Wedding yep. Singer? So I go with my friend, we're like in the nosebleed section, like the worst t- seats ever, like student rush seats. And we're watching and all of a sudden this character comes out. There's like a smoke machine and she comes out of the fog and she's like walking onto the stage and she looks like Madonna from Like a Virgin and, mm. and she's the ex-girlfriend that leaves Robbie Hart at the altar. She's like okay. the bitch. She's like the mean, like the evil character in the show. Sure. And this woman, her name's Felicia Finley, the actress that played the part, starts singing and I don't know what happened to me but everyone's laughing and I'm hysterically crying. And I look at my friend who's next to me. I'm like, I'm going to play that part one day. I don't know why. This is my part. This was made for me. I am going to play that role. He looks at me. I'm sitting like we're students. I live in like an eight by eight, like little tiny room with a twin bed, bunk bed thing. You're like 18, 19 or something like that. 21. 21. Okay. And he's like, yeah, okay. I'm like, no, 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 no. I am. No, I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. And so I heard at that time when I was in school, my mom gave me another book. And this was actually before the You Can Heal Your Life book. So I was like, kind of like, mm. she gave me the book, The Secret. And I didn't really believe in that either until I saw Oprah talking about how she manifested her role in the color purple mm. by using The Secret, the law of attraction. So I'm like, I do an experiment. Yeah. I really want to be- I trust Linda. Oprah more than yeah, my mom. totally. <laughs> I really want to be Linda in The Wedding Singer. That's what I want. I'm going to manifest it. Okay, and I did all the things that they told you to do and vision it. And every night before I went to bed, I visualized myself playing the part like over and over. I'd feel the costume on my body. And in school, when we would have to sing songs for our tests in musical mm-hmm. theater school, I'd only sing the little Linda music. That's it. That's all I would sing. My teachers were annoyed with me. They're like, aren't you going to do anything else? I'm like, I am Linda yeah. in The Wedding Singer. <laughs> I, it is done. It is already done. And I... Finally, I, what I believe the law of attraction doesn't work without the law of action. Hmm. And all of the visualizing, all, all that really does is it points you in the direction of the opportunities to get the thing that you want. Absolutely. And suddenly I saw in the Backstage Magazine back when I'm dating myself, but we had like those newspapers, paper, mm-hmm. where all of- yeah, Actual the, physical paper. Yes, yeah. the auditions are listed, said <clears throat> Broadway national tour of the Wedding Singer casting. I'm like, oh my God, I'd never been to a Broadway audition in my life. I'm like, there it is, I'm going, this is mine, this is it, it's happening. Like, I am ready. And I go in dressed in my Linda costume and I sign in and I'm number like 580. Like there's so many girls there. I'm like, I'm gonna get this. And because I had done all the work and I'm there, I'm auditioning and they keep cutting and cutting and cutting. and, And I'm left there with one other girl. Wow. And I get back and it's like the final callback. It's like me and this other girl. And I remember her name. Her name was Nika and she was tall and blonde and gorgeous. And I'm like, oh, this is, forget it. Like I did not believe in myself very much in that moment in time. I was very scared. But like, it was like American Idol on steroids. Like she would go in and then I would go in and then she would go in and then I would go in. And they're like, okay, thank you so much. Bye. That's what they do. They like, don't tell you anything. And then you leave. That's fun. And no, yeah, <laughs> so fun. And then you don't hear anything. Good luck sleeping for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. If you don't get it, you also don't hear anything. What? So <laughs> I had- even do the courtesy of no. the breakup call? No breakup call. Those bastards. No breakup call. Wow. So I find out through the grapevine that Nika gets the role. Ugh. First big rejection. But because, I don't know what, I was so, I was like, I don't care. It's just not right now. Yeah. 
And I was just like so resilient. And so I snuck into a different audition. I got very, very like sneaky about this. And I took crazy, scary action. Like you can't do this in the musical theater world. But I saw an audition for Footloose and I knew that that director would be casting the next national tour of The Wedding Singer. I don't know how I found mm. out. So I snuck in and I sang the Linda music for this guy, even though it was a Footloose yeah. show. And he comes out of the holding room. He, the whole, like the, of the room where the audition is into the holding room. He comes up to me and he's like, listen, I'm not casting Wedding Singer right now but I want you to take my card and I want you to follow up with me because when we do, I want to bring you back in. And that was when I learned how to follow up with people. I was going to say, you're going to regret this decision, sir. <laughs> I emailed that guy, I think once a week for like six months, I had nothing to say to him. I yep. sent him pictures of my dog. I, I was like, happy Hanukkah. I was like, I don't know. I just was emailing him all the time. Yeah, You said, you told me to follow up. So I learned, follow up, finally, 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 I get called back in again and again and again, and I audition again and again and again, audition my face off to then receive an email in my inbox that says, congratulations, we want you to be part of the Broadway national tour of The Wedding Singer, Linda Understudy. Still didn't get it. So I have to now show up, I'm very happy, I get to <laughs> yeah, be yeah. on the show, but I have to now show up and watch this girl play my part that I know that I'm better at. Yeah. And there's a big part of my book about FOMO about fear of missed opportunity and yeah. the feeling of seeing somebody else doing the thing that you know that you could do better. Yeah. And and you could either, you can go in two directions with that. I could have been so pissed off and annoyed at her and just like, I had to wear a fat suit in the show. I was like the fat girl, That's, that was oh, my role. Really? So I wore a fat suit every night. And then I sat in the wings and I watched this girl like sing my song that I had visualized doing for so long. And I could have been a bitch to her. I could have been angry about it or I could have befriended her and watched her every move and studied her and asked her, why'd you do that there? Let's be friends. Tell me like everything you know about this part because for some reason you got it and I didn't, I wanna know. Yeah. And that's where I learned if you can turn your FOMO into fuel and gratitude and be grateful that somebody's paving the way for you, you can create any opportunity that you want because the second that I got on that stage and got to play that part, you better believe that I took the part. Yeah. <laughs> so then when we went on the big tour, we put up the show for four months in smaller theaters before we went up on the road with the big Broadway sets and Broadway costumes. And they gave me the role. And Travis, when I played the Hold part the of boss. Linda, thank you, for the first time, in the same costume that Felicia Finley wore, in front of an audience, with the lights and everything, and I sang the song with the smoke machine and everything, it was the same visual that I had done in my little twin bed in acting school. And I walked backstage and I collapsed on the floor and I look up at the sky and I'm like, anything that I want, I can create. And that was really a big pivotal moment in my life where I learned the most important lesson ever. Yeah. So many following up, persistence, rejection, FOMO, like all of it to create everything. And then I had to like learn it again, 85 more times. Sure, yeah. Cause I still, we're still not at the rock bottom moment yet. Yeah. But that was a huge moment in my life. Along the way though, we're, we're, we're paving these like, where we're making deposits in the confidence account the whole time. Yeah. Cause like any, a moment like that puts so much so much additional deposits in that account is almost unfathomable. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. to, to, to think, to, to think that something's completely out of reach and then to just commit to making it happen and then to see it actually happen. That is, is ex that exact moment. It's when you, you're just like, what else can I do that I thought I couldn't do that people told me I couldn't do? Yeah. What are the stories I'm telling myself that just aren't true yeah. because this one worked, you know, like totally. what else? So where'd you go from there? 
So then I got home from tour and I learned about this audition for this TV show on VH1 where they needed a sexy rocker chick. And sexy I'm like, rocker chick. That's what I just the did. <laughs> yeah. For a year on the road, I played a sexy rocker chick. Yeah, yeah. That was, I was like, oh, in the bag. Yeah. I'm going to get this. But what little did I know, it was for a heavy metal talk show. So a talk show all about heavy metal music. It was mm. hosted by three comedians, Eddie Trunk, Don Jameson, and Jim Florentine. And they would interview all these big rock stars, like the guys from Metallica and mm. ACDC and Guns N' Roses. And they needed like a Vanna White for the show. Gotcha. Like the hot girl. That's it. And so I was like, okay, I am going to crush this audition. I'm going to study everything there is to know about heavy metal music like the yeah. night before. And I'm going to know everything. So I Google and I research and I'm memorizing all these band names and all this. And I go into the audition dressed in my version of what a heavy metal girl would wear. And I'm, I'm actually in the waiting room and all the other girls are like real metal girls. <laughs> they like have like leg tattoos. Yeah, yeah, like they're real. Right. My metal shirt was from Bloomingdale's. <laughs> And theirs were, they were really from the concert. And I go in and they ask me all these questions and I forget everything. Yeah. This is actually on YouTube, my audition for that. Oh, is it? it is. You can watch it. Pull up the clip. Yeah, you can roll the clip. <laughs> I forgot everything. And you can see me. I'm like, I really like everything from Beyonce to Black Sabbath. <laughs> and like, I just look like an idiot. And then they, I'm like, I, this you're is You're an bad. actor, you're acting. Yeah, I'm pretending, but I'm doing a bad yeah. job. <laughs> I'm not even doing a good job. They pull out my resume and on the bottom, it, as a joke, I say, I do a great Britney Spears impersonation. And so at the end of this, I'm like, this sucked. Like, I'm just not gonna get this. And they say to me, Jen, you do Britney? Like, let's see your Britney. I'd love to see your Britney. I'm like, this is going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so I'm like, forget it. I take them down the mask. I decide to just be myself because I didn't get the part anyway. Yeah. And I start singing like Britney Spears. Everybody starts laughing. I get a call a week later. I got the part. <laughs> Jen, we want you to be part of the show. Oh, we can really see ourselves having fun with you on set. And that was a lesson in being myself. Yeah. There were so yeah. many girls there that could have been better for the part. And when I was faking sure. it, I forgot everything. But when I was just myself, that's when people leaned in. And even though I wasn't a metal girl, they connected with me. Yeah. And that's why I got it, ironically, because then I lost my real self along the way in a big way. Yeah. Because I got this job on the show for five years where I was supposed to be a heavy metal girl. Yeah. And I wasn't. Sure, sure. There was just a job. It was a job, but I was simultaneously building a brand and an audience sure. of people that thought I liked heavy metal music. Right. And I was like, all right, I need to be super blonde. I need to be super sexy. I need to pretend that I like these things and I need to make these videos and I need to do. And did you, did you find yourself like gaining interest in any of that? No. Or it was literally just like, this is what I do for work and this is what I have to do. Yeah. to pay the bills. Yeah, and I was in an internal battle with myself. This yeah. is what I do for work. And when I, it was a great job. We filmed yeah. at Sony uh, Universal yeah. Studios. Like As far as jobs go, it's not like it's, you know, flipping burgers or something like amazing. that. amazing. Yeah. I wouldn't take it back for a second. So many great friends came out of that. I loved being yeah. on set, but I was not a metal girl. Sure. And people could smell that from a mile away. Those fans, they are hardcore. They're yeah. great. They're very loyal fans. Yeah. They love, I love them. And we had a live studio audience, but I started to see online people were like, Jennifer's fake, she doesn't really like that. And I'm like, I am. And I was like in this like push and pull with myself, like this isn't who I am. Yeah. And because it wasn't a character I was playing, it was like a combination of who I really was plus a character. It wasn't like I, I could go be in a movie, be a character and then be done. Right, it was, it was like, constant. It's like, you're, I'm Jen, like right. me, and this is who I'm pretending to be. 
I was totally out of alignment, building a brand that was out of alignment because all these people thought that was following me thought I was something that I wasn't. Yep. And when it all went away, because the show got canceled. The show after just five got canceled. Okay. Yeah. And during that time, I was dating this guy that I really thought I was going to marry because he was perfect on paper. I knew deep down, just like the show, it wasn't right. Mm. Found out that he was cheating on me with our friend and the relationship ended. And I went from this perfect relationship with this perfect job on this TV show, it getting canceled all around the same time and everything kind of blowing up and having to start over and figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. And yeah. that's where we get to the Italian restaurant with my mom. Yeah. Okay, so you're now 25, 26, have some experience. You, have, As far as resumes go in acting, like it's getting stacked up, right? I mean, like you- I'm a Broadway working actor. Tour, yep, you got, you were on actual television mm -hmm. on a real show. Mm -hmm. Where, what were you thinking at that time? Like you, were you thinking like, I shouldn't be an actor or are you thinking I need to re-engage with a different part of myself? Like, is, is there any of that going on or are you just complete identity crisis at this point? I was complete identity crisis and I was holding on to the old identity in a big way. I was not ready to let go of it. The old identity, like the rocker chick or no. the old identity of pleasing everybody around you type of thing? Pleasing everybody around me, finding a guy that was like the finance New York guy. Like mm. I want to be in that scene thinking that was what I needed to be sure. like to pr pr please my family and everything. And then also being an actress, I was still holding on to being in that world and going to auditions and hoping that one day I would get something. But really in that world, like I learned when I was on tour, I didn't love the act of being on tour. I love performing, mm. but doing 10 shows a week and living on a bus was not my favorite thing sure. at all. And, and there were signs along the way that it wasn't in alignment, it just wasn't. But I was holding onto it because of fear of not knowing yeah. and fear of, of, of like, whoa, what if I really did take all this down and decided to figure out who I really was? Like that's scary and I wasn't ready to look at that. Mm. And what got me to start getting ready to look at it was the affirmation started to help me to be like, hmm, maybe I could read a personal development book. Maybe I could mm. listen to a podcast, yeah. maybe I could. And then I started to go down the rabbit hole and my life started to change. And I decided that I wanted to be a personal trainer instead of like, while I was being an actor, I thought it's a great job for me because I could, my, I could have flexible hours. I could yep. still audition. I could help people. I love working out. This is a good job for me. I don't have to be a waitress or a babysitter. I could be a personal trainer. Yeah. I got my taste of entrepreneurship and when I became a personal trainer and it was the greatest gift ever because I started training people and making money. And then I started actually thinking, well, if I'm paying the, or the gym is paying me $30 and they're charging the client $150. What if I just took the client outside of the gym and trained them and got the full $150? Yeah, right. Like that's way better. I started doing that and I built a, like a multi six figure business very, very fast. Nice. Cause I just had this bug and I had this determination and my back was against the wall and I had no other choice. Yep. And so I started building a brand as fitness gen instead of metal gen. And I learned about publicity and I learned how to change the narrative and I learned how to build a brand. And during that time, I'm like, wow, I'm becoming like successful. This is amazing. I had my own studio apartment in New York City and I had a business, but I still missed two pieces in life. My performing piece, it's always there. That's in you, it's in you. And it was missing. And I'm like, is this gonna be my life now? I am a person, I, have, I, had, I had trainers working for me. So I was doing online stuff. It wasn't just, yeah. you know, dollars for hours. It was really building something, but I wasn't, performing and I wasn't really being seen the way that I knew that I still could. There was sure. something in me that was pulling. And then the other thing was, I knew I wanted to fall in love. And I was single and I was obsessed with having everything perfect in my life and blocking off all the relationships because I didn't want anyone to come in and screw it up for me, screw up everything that I built. 
So I went to my very first personal development event, which was Lewis Howe's event, uh, oh, really? Summit of Greatness. Okay. I was like, who's one of the podcasts that I listened to. And what I was like, this? this, oh man, this was his first one ever. So how many years ago? 20, I don't know. 14, 15, 16? Maybe. I don't, I'm really bad with years. Yeah, it was a while ago. It was a while ago. I would assume. Yes. And <laughs> I was just like building my company and I was just exploring personal development. I'm like, I know I need to be around people that think like this because yeah. my friends don't think like this. Where am I going to find these people? So I went by myself and I sat in the audience and the speaker on the stage had us do like a perfect day exercise where you close your eyes and you envision your perfect day. What would you have? You could have anything. I'm like, okay, I'll play. And I allowed whatever could come up to come up. Well, in my mind, I was in a relationship that was like a power couple. I had met a six foot tall entrepreneur and we built a company together. And we went to seminars like that together. And we spoke on stages together and we built this thing. And I had never thought of this before ever. Yeah. And I opened my eyes, I'm like, holy shit, I, I need to find my person. Yeah. And so I did what I did with Wedding Singer and I decided I was gonna manifest my partner. And I started, talking to him every day as if he existed in my life, even though we didn't. And I'd have conversations with this invisible person. And I knew like, I, like I was like, if you see me, I'm wearing like my blue outfit, come say hi to me. I can't wait to meet you. And I knew that we were gonna live in this very specific apartment that I, this building that I used to train people at. I, I would tell the doorman when I walked in, I was like, I'm gonna live in this building one day. And they would laugh at me. And I'd say, I'm telling you, I'm gonna live in this building one day. You better believe. And so me and vision board guy, it was a picture of this guy on my vision board. I would envision it was the guy that was gonna be my husband and we were gonna live in that apartment and we had this whole life that I created in my mind. And then this is how it all ties in together. I got fired from that gym because they found out that I was training people on the outside. Like you can't come back here Makes ever sense. again. <laughs> bye, all right, bye. So I never Fair go enough. back, never go back. <laughs> Build my company into a very successful company. So now I'm a, a member at Equinox, which yeah. is a fancy schmancy nice gym, gym. Yeah. in New York. Equinox had acquired that gym. And I found out one day when I was walking down Columbus Avenue and I look and I'm like, oh my God, Equinox acquired Reebok? Well, that probably means that none of those people that fired me work there anymore. Hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like, you need to go join that gym. Like Jerry Seinfeld works out there, Adam Sandler, Madonna. It's like a celebrity gym. I'm like, there is someone there that you need to meet. You need to go in there. You need to join. Yeah. So after like five years of not being there because I was fired, I walk in, I give them my credit card. I like sign up as a member and I'm working out there. And within two weeks, I bump into this trainer named Carlos, who I used to date when I was a trainer there. Oh, no way. Yeah. And uh, Carlos cheated on me. I found underwear in his bed. It was a very dramatic situation. One of those things that happened for me, I didn't realize why it was happening for me. I bump into Carlos and I'm like feeling so good because like <laughs> I'm a member now and he's training people there yeah, at the right. gym still, still yeah. and I'm crushing it. And he's like, what are you up to? And I explain. More than you. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, well you, you asked him well, <laughs> and I'm telling him all this stuff. And he's like, you know, there's this guy that works out here. I don't know him that well, but I think he does online stuff like that. His name's Chris Winfield. I think maybe you should know him. Carlos, ex-boyfriend from when I was a trainer at that gym, sends me Chris Winfield's Facebook profile. That's hilarious. My word of the year that year was connection. I was really working on- Now what year is this? Oh, such a good question. Oh, so if it was right before I met Chris, it was probably 2017. Okay. And 
I was like, connection's the word. I'm going to connect with people this year. And I Google this guy, Chris, and he's the super, super connector. connector. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This guy could totally help me. This makes so much sense with my word of the year. <laughs> I go and I, I, I DM, or no, I, I friend Chris. He DMs me. We're DMing under the table over Thanksgiving. And I'm like telling my, fr- my family members, my guy's on the way. Like, don't worry. Next time I'm here on Thanksgiving, he's going to be with me. Little did I know I'm DMing with my husband-to-be yeah. under the table. And we end up, meeting up, falling in love, creating the life that I envisioned, moving into the apartment at that building with like saying to the doorman, what's up, buddy? Here I am. (laughs) And we did not do that because Chris was really successful. And I just, I think that that's where the story, like people are like, oh, did you just like meet the rich guy? And then, you know, got the apartment of your dreams in the life? No, he was building his business just as I was. Mm. And we were both building separate businesses together. And we both were becoming really successful by helping each other in our own businesses. We weren't even partners yet. And I would help him and he would help me and we would inspire each other. And we both got to a place where we could afford apartment like that together. And then once we started living together, it became very clear that there was something that we could do together. Sure, sure. And I was like seeing him speak on stages. And I was like, that's the thing that's missing for me. That's it. Performance piece. Yeah. Yeah. This exists. I could do this. And so we decided to come together and do that one event. We did an event together on Fair Advantage Live. And we were like, we need to become partners. We need to create this into a a much bigger company. Mm. And then we did. So my takeaway is that I've known Chris almost as long as you have, Jen. You have. You've known him longer than me, I think. (laughs) No, I don't think longer, but at least as long. Yeah. So, Chris, where's my ring? (laughs) You know, nothing. I can share. I have two. No love. (laughs) Man, that's that's so awesome. I love... Every piece of the story, like you said, you can't join the dots until you look behind you instead of looking ahead. But I'm going to ask you to do just that, Jen, looking ahead. Where do you view the next dots appearing on the horizon for you, for Chris, for BC and for everything you guys are working on now? It's, yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is always something that I hesitate to say. And I I say this because I know a lot of people have big dreams that they get scared to say because they're scared that people are going to think a certain way of them if they say it. I say it even with fear there. Anyway, I'm going to preface it. I want to be the greatest motivational speaker of all time. That is what I want to do. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I don't even, I don't even know. That's just what comes to me. I love speaking more than anything. And I love I I don't even just love the time on stage. I love the time before the stage. I love the time after the stage, connecting with the people, seeing what happens as a result of the moments that we create when I'm at an event and in person, just like those people did for me when I was going to events. I mean, we're hosting big events now. We've got a 600 person event coming up in October. BC in the book is, I mean, I hope that it becomes a a, a number one times, the number one New York Times bestseller or whatever, any kind of bestseller, just because I want as many people as possible to get it in their hands. You know, I mean, it would be nice to have like all of those great accolades, Sure. but I tell my team when we're marketing it, I'm like, I don't, I'm not going for that. I'm going for like, let's get this book in In as many hands as possible. It's, I want people reading it and I want it in hands. And then for Chris and I, we're, our company is really pivoting into teaching people how to use artificial intelligence to build their brand. Hmm. And yeah, that's like, because it's faster and it's really cool technology that we're living in today that can help you be seen without having any excuses of not knowing what to say or not knowing what to write. So we have a community, a mentorship program, a mastermind that is amazing. We're obsessed with it. And we really dive into how to build a profitable brand, but we're really pivoting into like, how do you use AI and implement AI to make it faster and more scalable and easier for you? 
So that's a big direction that we're headed in right now that I'm really excited about too. Okay, so if you had to choose between speaking to 100,000 people Mm -hmm. or selling a million copies of your book, which one would you pick? That's a hard question. I'm going to explain to you why. Okay. Because if I sold a million copies of my book. You could theoretically get on any stage you wanted to get. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's more long game. Like people will be sitting with my content in their hands. They'll be implementing it. They'll be able to go back to it. They'll be able to have that experience again and again and again and again. They'll be able to gift it to other people. That stage, while yes, I could record it and cut it up into a lot of different pieces of content and it could live on, it really is just for one moment. So I would go with the book because it helps create more impact than that one stage will. It would be selfish to say the stage, but selfishly, I would like to have that moment. And yeah. I know that I will. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was asking the question. Mm-hmm. Um, more books? Are you, like, do you, did you like the process of writing? Did yeah. You, did you enjoy like putting the book together? I did. It felt easy. Okay. It did. It didn't feel hard. All my friends told me that I've written books, that it was going to be the hardest thing I've done. it sucks. Yeah. That's and what I, I keep like, hearing. I, I, every, like, okay. Everybody discourages me. I am going to <laughs> encourage you to shift your mindset right now. Okay. All right. Let's you can it. allow it to be easy if you choose it, if you choose that. Okay. If you decide I'm going to let this be easy and fun instead of going into it, like thinking what everybody tells you, it's going to suck. It's going to be so painstaking to write it. I just got on my keyboard and I talked to my girl. Yeah. I knew who she was. I thought about her in my mind and I told her my stories and I spoke to her. And that made it so easy. Yeah. If you focus on that, I I like, we call it hope, help one person every day. Thinking about like when you're creating content, you're just helping someone, Mm -hmm. you're talking to them. That's what made the process really fun. And I will let you know at the end of the launch, if the marketing part was fun. If the launch part was fun. Right now it's fun. This is amazing. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you got you got a couple months to go of just like pushing and pushing and pushing. That's right. So that's right. Oh, and allowing as well. You know, I think that with the marketing thing of the book, there's a lot of a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a yeah. lot of people that think that they know the right thing to do, and yeah. so you're going to get advice from a zillion different people and a zillion different ways to do it, how you should do it, and then also a lot of pressure from either yourself or outside. You know, like you're creating your own pressure basically from comparing yourself to other people's launches or like how it should be. There's a lot of noise. I'm sitting in the noise and I'm acknowledging the noise. And I'm like, how can I make this experience just be about the fact that I wrote a damn book? Yeah, sure. Sure. Like, yeah. Holy crap. Did did you, did you like working with the publisher? Have you, have you like, have you enjoyed that? Yeah. yeah, and everyone else told me that it was going to be terrible. Again, another one of those publisher. things. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm asking you the My questions. My publisher is amazing. Yeah. I love them. Like it's been wonderful. That's so good. Yeah. yeah, like shift your mindset on that. Allow okay. it to be easy and fun. All right, allow it to be easy to fun, and don't don't write off all the publishers. No. Yeah. I I, I wouldn't. Okay. And if you are looking to publish a book, let me know, and then I can introduce you. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll have a chat maybe later this year. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right, Jen, this is way long overdue. I can't believe, I could not believe when I was looking at my archives that we never recorded an episode. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you for writing the book, Be Seen. If you're watching this right now, it is officially out. So please do not hesitate. Go pick up a copy. Like I always say on the show, never wait to buy a book. Just buy a mm-hmm. book. It's like 20, 30 bucks and it has the ability to literally change your life. It has the ability to package up somebody's entire thought process, wisdom, experience, knowledge in a couple hundred pages and you're going to hesitate to buy it, just, just just buy the book. Don't 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 keep waiting on it. Just buy the book. Be seen wherever books are sold. Go get a copy of Be Seen. Follow Jen on social if you're not already. You probably already are. Tell her thank you for all the amazing work that she's doing in the world. Jen, thank you. You're awesome. Can't wait to do this again. This was my favorite. Thank you. 
That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. 